Some of you familiar from uh, coming over to the church, we're glad to have you when you come and are able to be with us. Uh, some of you are making it a special, I understand, uh, exercise to be with us on Sunday nights. I knew when we started talking about Solomon's Sex and Saints that the, uh, the ratings would definitely go up, and uh, they have. My assignment this morning, by virtue of the series that you're involved in here on Mondays, is to speak to you about leaders in the church. Who should be leading in the church? <clears throat> That's a particular concern to me for a number of reasons. I think it should be a concern to you. It should be a concern to you because many of you, I expect, by virtue of your selection of institution where you're going to school, are in some way headed out into ministry and will probably be involved in leadership. You need to know what the Bible teaches, I think, about leaders. You've probably heard it over and over, and so I've chosen not to go to Titus chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of elders. For those who've heard that over and over, as important as it is, it becomes sanctified anesthesia. It can put you under in a big way if you just grind through those characteristics. I also, uh, the title I was given was interesting. It said, let me read it directly here, uh, men to lead the church. I also think women are involved in leadership in some capacities in the church. Is that all right, ladies, if I say that? All right. It's true. And any preacher worth his salt who stands in front of people for any period of time will begin to be impressed with the fact that when he looks out over his congregation, sometimes as high as 60% of the people he faces are women. All right. So he had better learn how to deal with and manage and encourage and support and direct women into leadership at certain levels in the life of a local church. So what I have to say this morning is uh, that which is good for both men and women, I think. Yogi Berra was asked one time, what makes a good manager? And he said, a good ball club. And he was right. Very often, good churches make good leaders. But I have found that often in good churches or churches that are experiencing a measure of success that the analysis of trying to find out what makes a leader a leader in a church that is successful is not very good. Even though those very often in successful so-called churches hold seminars and meetings on how they got where they're at, but when pressed pretty hard, they don't really know what's happening. It just happens. But let me take you to a church that's battling, that's struggling. Uh, churches that you hear about, maybe some of you unfortunately have in your background, where it's not been easy. It's a hard church and a hard place. Churches like the one I heard about not too long ago where the pastor uh, left town on vacation. And when he returned, they had left him notice that he had been already given two weeks notice that he was no longer the pastor. He and his family had to be gone within 30 days. Churches that are divided and churches that are split and churches that have problems. And all of them have problems. Some of them just have better ways of covering them up than others. And so I thought... For a little while this morning, I would take you to a church that was in a whole lot of trouble and to find out how leadership in that particular church maybe has something to say to us this morning. If you'll take your Bibles and open to the Corinthian epistles, first and second Corinthians, you can start with first, but we're going to be mostly in the second epistle. Where do you find men and women? who can give leadership in the life of a church. What kind of a church atmosphere is most conducive to finding out what really makes the kind of leader you need in a local church? I think it's a church that's having trouble. 
a church that's having conflict. All of that was present at Corinth and much more. These people had uh, kind of a hero problem. They couldn't decide whether they wanted to follow Paul or Cephas or Christ. They were divided on that. They were an incredibly gifted church and yet divided over their giftedness. The largest section of instruction we have in the New Testament on spiritual giftedness comes to a church that was divided over it, that was fighting over it, that was split over it. It was a church also that had incredible sin. One particular individual living probably in an incestuous relationship and going to church just like everything was fine. They had problems around the Lord's table. In fact, so serious were those in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that Paul writes to them that because of disorders and things related to the way they were inappropriately coming to the table, some of them were sick, some were weak, and some, he said, sleep, which is Christian word for they're dying. This is a crazy place. No pastor in his right mind would go there. Most would avoid this particular situation, but it's at Corinth that I think this morning you're going to find some important characteristics of people who should lead the church. People who should genuinely give direction to the church. Now, those people should be, and I'll start off at the beginning, they should be people of the word, they should be people of prayer, they should be people uh, filled and directed by the Spirit of God and all those other things. But as I look through the Corinthian epistles, the two that Paul wrote that we have, Possibly there was at least one other, maybe two others that are not included in Scripture. I began to find some things that I think we need to remind ourselves about when you're becoming a leader in a church, if you do, or when you get into a church and you look to leadership. What should you look for? The first thing you should look for is people who are genuine believers, not practicing puppets. You say, what does that mean? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 12 and 13 in the text. 2 Corinthians chapter... 11. Paul makes it clear that there was apparently snuck in to the Corinthian church those who were not believers. They were trying to subvert the ministry. But he says, 2 Corinthians 11:12. what am I doing? I'll continue to do that I may cut off opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the matter about which they are boasting. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. They're at least not apostles, and the implication of the language is they're not believers. Some of you know it, but you don't know always where it's found. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, and it's in this epistle that Paul challenges people to see if indeed they are in the faith. He says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, Unless indeed you fail the test. You say, you've got to be kidding. Can people get into leadership in a church who are not believers? Absolutely. Happens all the time. Happened yesterday. There are hundreds of people who are pulled into leadership not because of their genuine commitment to Christ, but because sometimes they're good at business. Sometimes because they happen to be the largest family in the church that's been there since Noah got off the boat. And their name is the name that is looked to for leadership. Sometimes they're the people who have the money in churches. They're the people who have influence by virtue of the fact that they not only give, but they give a lot and they let it be known where it came from. And they want to have a say on where the dough goes. So they get moved into places of leadership. Sometimes churches get trapped into specialty situations where they need expertise of a certain kind. And so rather than consider if a person is a believer or not, they are elevated to a place of leadership because their area of expertise is needed. And most of them have learned, as some of you have learned, you've learned how to say the words and play the part. 
You've learned how to say uh, praise the Lord and amen and I've received Jesus and he's the Lord of my life. And we learn how to puppet. We learn which strings to pull depending on what people are around. But I tell you now that when a leader who is not a believer gets into a leadership position, it is only a matter of time until absolute craziness breaks loose. It's only a matter of time until the drift begins. And generally speaking, my experience has been that when unbelievers mix with believers, generally speaking, the believers begin to follow the unbelievers. I say to you, be sure when it comes to leadership, be sure, test yourself. You say, is it possible for a person to get into ministry and not be a Christian? I served my first church with a man who pastored for four years before he became a believer in Jesus Christ. He preached the gospel. He visited the sick. He led Sunday school. He led leadership meetings. He went to denominational meetings. And one year that he was in that position, he spoke as one of the chief speakers of the denomination. He was a part of He was an unbeliever. It wasn't until he was confronted by an evangelist regarding his personal commitment to Christ and growth that all of the puppet strings were snapped and he finally found out what was at the core of his soul. At the beginning, Paul challenges the Corinthians in the midst of their craziness and says, are you really believers? Are your leaders really believers? You give me five to eight men who know Christ and are committed to him, who have the spirit of God living in them, and I don't care if they can add and not get two and two to come out to four, I will die with those men. Because they know Christ. Unity will be possible because the same spirit lives in us. We will be able to manage and deal with anything because we move from the same supernatural point of reference. The Corinthians had to be challenged by the apostle. Are you genuine believers or are you puppets? Are you simply being pulled by the strings and the right words and the right things? Another one I found. The men and women who lead the church are one of many, not the only kind. I understand that uh, you had a speaker recently on this topic about diversity and difference. But there, in the kingdom of God and in leadership, you need different kinds. Turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, even though the downside at Corinth was people were polarizing, they were getting uh, kind of partied up with different leaders, it was still Paul's desire that they go through and follow and be led by different people leading in the same way. You've heard this before, of course, many times. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted... Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Folks, when you're looking for a church or you're thinking about becoming a leader, be the leader God has designed you to be. What has God entrusted to you? What experiences and background has he given to you to design you to be the leader you need to be for the time and the place he will call you to leadership? One of the most incredible studies of leadership in the Old Testament is the book of Nehemiah. Even greater is the study in the book of Judges and the study of Moses. If most of you will remember Gideon, how many of you remember Gideon in the book of Judges? Remember Gideon? Do you remember how God called Gideon? Somebody tell me, what was he doing when God called him with an angel? He was beating out wheat in a wine press. Not exactly the sign of a hero. He was laying on his belly, covered with sweat and chaff, 
And the angel comes to him, and in the King James Version, he says to him, Ho, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon, no doubt, raises his head off the ground and says, Me? Yes, me. You, Gideon, you're the man. You're the kind of man I need now. I'm not going to make you into like all others. I need you the way you are right now. And that's what God gave him. You guys are unique and you're going to be tempted, terribly tempted to become like a leader you think you ought to be rather than the leader that God has designed you to be. Each of you come from different places and different backgrounds and different cultures and different experiences. God, in his sovereignty and his oversight of your life, if he's bringing you into leadership, has done that to make you the kind of leader he's going to need you to be at the place and among the people he will lead you to. Be that leader and understand that there will be others who lead differently than you do, who are still godly, who are still a part of the chain of productivity and the way God will work things out. They don't all have to be like you to be right. Please understand that. I got fried yesterday by a letter from a fella who wrote and told me that uh, I was not evangelistic, that I didn't believe in claiming the blood of Jesus over souls. And uh, he waxed eloquent. And so he called me at the house after I had mentioned publicly and anonymously that I'd received a brutal letter. And uh, his call to the house, he was upset and he was talking to someone who was upset when he talked to me. And we exchanged pleasantries regarding how much we were brothers in the Christ and we loved the Lord. But he said, you don't believe in winning people to Christ and quoted Proverbs. He that winneth souls is wise. Why don't you give an altar call? That's the way you win people to Christ. I said, the unfortunate thing is, I said, you haven't asked how many have come to Christ in the life of our fellowship just in the last week without an altar call. In that particular week, we've seen a half a dozen people, one Jewish gentleman, come to know the Lord. Then. He said, no, you've got to do it this way. And I said, no, we don't. Young people, you've got to learn. You've got to learn that there are some powerful models for leadership around you. But how has God designed you? What kind of a leader should you be? There was Apollos and there was Paul and there were others. Some of you need to be Barnabas. You need to be the one who can take cripples and put them back together again. He who took John Mark and made him profitable for the ministry again. Some of you need to be the Peter. You need to wear out your sandals with your mouth. That's how Peter operated. He went through sandals on a regular basis by sticking his foot in his mouth. But remember, he's the only other guy besides the Lord Jesus to ever walk on water. We need those kind of people out there. We need men like Peter who stir things up and scare guys like John to death when they go into the temple precincts. And look at a guy and say, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. We need those kind of people. We also need John. We need those kind of leaders. We need the Aquilas and the Priscillas. The people who work in business simply to make money so that they can move into strategic locations to spread the gospel. We need the kind of leaders that are sometimes withdrawn. Easy, behind the scenes people who do not need the upfront. We need all kinds of leaders. And Paul said... In the chain of harvest at Corinth, there are many of us involved. Downside? The downside is when there are many kinds of leaders who do not cooperate, do not see their ministry as mutual, there is a sense of heroism and partyism. And the first thing you know, people are asking for somebody's autograph and everything else. As far as I know, no one ever asked Paul for his autograph. Never. Never. There was never a place for that. And when he met with the Ephesian elders, as he said goodbye to them in Acts chapter 20, he didn't say, now men, you do it like I do it. 
He said, men, you do it like God would do it, like the Lord Jesus would do it. I encourage you this morning, when it comes to leadership, understand that leaders in the church, they are the ones who are one of many. There's not only one kind, there are many kinds. Turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 4, and I'll show you another concern I have about leadership. If you folks ever want to find out how Paul's heart beat, read the 2 Corinthian epistle. Many people don't take a close look at it because it doesn't outline very neatly. If any of you are having to study it from any professors here at the school, you'll understand that it's, it's scattered. It's, it has high points and low points, but it's hard to put together because Paul, in one sense, was writing his heart. In 2 Corinthians 2.4, he is honest. He says, For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be made sorrowful, but that you might know the love which I have especially for you. What's he saying? When I think of you folks and the difficulty you're having, I cry, I weep, I show emotion. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. He admits to these people something that some of us will not allow our leaders in church to admit. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. He writes, For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without Fears within, Paul says, I was afraid. And not only, excuse me, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. I would take in the language that the us could be read back into that Paul was blue. He was down. You mean the apostle Paul got in the pits? Yep. Verse 7. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You say, well, what's the characteristic of a leader you're getting at here? The leader is one who's concerned about reality, not image. Reality. Paul says, I cry, I weep when I think of you. I move to emotion. I was concerned about how you would respond to us. And I was, frankly, he says, I had the... The pits, I was in, in the pits, I had the blues, I was depressed until we heard word. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11 and you'll get another look at his heart even. He says to them, we didn't rely on our image, we're the same person who came to you as wrote to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. We're the same thing. One of the crazy things about leadership in churches that people become a kind of dispatched to their image and what people think of them rather than reality and the way things really are. That's probably where I get into my most trouble in church. I don't know how to put on. I don't know how to fake it. It's not a part of my life. I can't. There's something within me that just doesn't work. Therefore, especially on this Song of Solomon series on Sunday nights, I'm embarrassing people. They're sweating. They're turning red. All kinds of things are happening over there. People are losing weight, worrying about what I'm going to say on the next Sunday. It's incredible. Because I don't know. The only world I know is the real world. I'm trying to raise three kids and make a living in the Santa Clarita Valley. I get up in the morning and help my boys throw papers. I've got a right arm now that may be sold for a million dollars one day. That's my life. That's the world I live in. That's the real world, and that's the kind of leaders we need. We do not need leaders who are preoccupied with their image and what people think of them. We need men and women who will lead the church into this next decade and maybe a new millennium that live in the real world. 
out there where people get into the grime and the grit of life. And they need to be people who are real about how they're feeling. And sometimes it's not good. Sometimes it hurts. Right now in my own life, I am watching my mother die inch by inch. She has terminal liver cancer. In just two days, I'll be going down to Arizona and probably helping her plan her memorial service. I can't stand before you and say that doesn't hurt. And sometimes when I ask our people to pray, I cry with them. Young people don't get caught in the great thing that seems to be going on in many Christian circles today. There's an image and there's reality. God doesn't need that in leadership in the church. He needs real people who live in a real world, who deal with real issues in a real way, with a real Bible and a real God. We don't need image anymore. We got so much image out there now. There are many people who don't know what's real and what's make believe. Please understand that. Don't get caught up in the image. Deal with real life. Oh, it'll, it'll cost you. It will. When you admit to people that you're down, you're not feeling good. Uh, for example, leaders and churches are always supposed to be perfect. They're omnicompetent. They're able to do everything. They're not supposed to pronounce their ineptitudes. They're not supposed to say they can't do something. They're not supposed to say they don't like certain people. All of those things are things that have been foisted on leadership as imagery and it's led us into great trouble. It's interesting that in this idea of depression, I would like you to hear what Charles Haddon Spurgeon wrote about it honestly when he took one of the larger churches in his ministry. He said, before any great achievement, some measure of depression is very usual. Such, he says, was my experience when I first became pastor in London. My success appalled me, and the thought of the career which seemed to open up so far from elating me cast me into the lowest depth, out of which I uttered my misery and found no room for, for a gloria in excelsis. Who was I that I should continue to lead so great a multitude? He got into depression. He said, often this depression comes over me when the Lord is preparing a larger blessing for my ministry. Now, I don't mean necessarily that if you're in a place of leadership, especially public leadership, that you come out every morning and use a box of Kleenex just to communicate how human you are. But I am suggesting that you begin, along with the rest of us, to live in the real world with real people and a real God and a real Bible. And don't let this image stuff fool you. Don't read your own press and don't believe it. And if anybody thinks that uh, anybody's anyone, if they're married, have them talk to their wife or their husband. If you really want to find out what a man is really like as a leader, talk to his children. Then the truth will be out forevermore. I want you to understand that you must not get caught up in the image of church leadership, but in the reality of church leadership. And that requires honesty, being flat-footed honest about what's going on in your life and how you're growing or not growing in him. There's another feature. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. It's one of those strange statements in Scripture that some people don't understand. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 17. The leader is a genuine believer. He's not a practicing puppet. The leader is one of many, not the only kind. There are a variety of kinds of leaders. The leader is concerned about reality and not image. And the leader is committed to modeling, not just mouthing. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 14 through 17. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. I exhort you, therefore, be... What does it say in your Bible? 
You can speak out loud even in chapel. Imitators, follow me. Be one who mimics me. It's the only epistle that he repeats it in. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Take a look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. What does it say? Be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. And you say, well, you've got to help me here. Because if people become like me, they're in trouble. You're right. If people follow you exactly, they're in trouble. Because they will usually capture from you not the essentials, but the incidentals. The way you carry your book bag, they will think is how you get grades. True. Happens with preachers all the time. I taught preaching for a little bit. It was amazing to me to watch men who had, of course, you got a pretty powerful preacher here that's the president of this place. And a lot of guys I had in class went to the church that he pastors. They all believed they had to have a certain kind of glasses and they had to hold them in just the right way when they preached. That meant they knew exegesis. It's true. It's true. They adopted phrases and mannerisms and the thing that makes your president a great man of God here. They hardly ever captured those. They only got the incidentals. The way he walked. What book or books he may have used in passing. Rather than trying to wrestle with the heart of what makes a man a man of God, these people were following and mimicking and modeling the incidentals. Please understand what the Apostle Paul twice in the Corinthian epistles that we've looked at is encouraging the people to do. He is saying, if what you see of Christ in me, follow that. Do that. Don't be fooled. Most people in leadership lead by who and what they are, not what they say. Write it down. Count on it. And when you start raising kids, you will learn this as never before. It's what will keep you awake late at night when they're teenagers. Because you'll know that some of you is in them. And you know what you were like when you were a teenager and how you survived doing some of the stupidest things that could have gotten you killed. And your concern is that that is genetically transmitted. (laughs) Because they're like you. And all of a sudden, when they get old enough to begin to mimic the things that you do, it is amazing that it seems like they copy most of the bad you do and they haven't at least isolated one good thing that you see in you. That's what modeling is all about. You folks look for leaders who model. It is often the practice of the apostle. We won't turn to it this morning, but in 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2, especially chapter 2, his appeal for the validity of his ministry is the way he modeled ministry. The way he came among the Thessalonians and he treated them in a family way. As a father would his children, as a mother a nursing child. Paul said, what I tell you is true because of the way I act. That's why I'm a big one on getting out and doing some umpiring. I love to umpire. I love the authority. It's delightful. It's so different than church. Some ways it's very much like church, but in other ways... It's not like church at all. In church, you, you can't walk up to a guy and say, Hey, you're out of here. You're gone. You can't do that. In a ball field, last Saturday, called a ball game, made a great call at home plate. Kid bunts the ball, steps in front, interferes with the throw down to second base. I ring up the batter, tell the guy to go back to first. Two coaches come running down and say, What are you doing? I said, He's out. He goes back to first. And if you say anything else, you can follow him. <laughs> Now, that's fun. That's fun. Now, I don't 
don't abuse it too much, but I enjoyed it Saturday. I was in a bad mood, and it was time to level things out a little bit. <laughs> Please understand, as a general rule, the reason I umpire is twofold. Not so I can prove authority, but number one, because I love being with kids and baseball, and I have at least one boy left. I have to find a new excuse after next year for going to the ballpark, because my kids have outgrown the baseball program. I love being with kids and baseball and families. And uh, out there, I visit on a regular basis during the regular season. Six to ten families from our fellowship are out there every night that I'm out there. So I have a great time with them. Secondly, I do it because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. And it's my responsibility to get into my community and to share the gospel and, by the grace of God, admit and some way try to model in the context of the community life what a Christian's like. Not sit in my office and shuffle papers and separate Christians and run around shouting hallelujah. i got to get out there and take it to them. i got to get out there and mix it up with them. They don't know me as Pastor Tom unless some little kid from church lets it out when he comes by up the bat. All right? Longest discussion I had uh, last season was a little boy who wanted to get baptized. And I called time out. We discussed it at home plate. Stop the game. But you see, I think it's important for you and me to get out into the community and model. Some of you work in this community. I've seen some of you in the places that you work. I'm praying for you, with some of you in the places you work. Some of you that are shuffling pizza around this town have a short lifespan ahead of you. You will be killed, all right? Especially if you eat the pizza you're carrying. You will die. <laughs> I pray for you because you're the Bible that the people in this community are reading. Yesterday... A young boy that I knew in the baseball program when he was 12 years old and had been praying for him and his family for five years came to church yesterday. Five years I've prayed for him. Five years I've asked God for this boy and his family. In my opinion, he is the best all-around athlete to come out of the Santa Clarita Valley in maybe the seven years that I've lived here. But for the first time, because of witness, and the opportunity to be around his dad. His dad, who, by the way, crazy, I've been trying to lose weight. And his dad saw me at the ballpark. The only time this man has ever called me in the six years I've known him, called me to ask me if I was sick. I didn't encourage my dieting. But for the first time, because I've been able to try, and sometimes, folks, I've done it by mistake. The modeling is not always perfect. Some of us think that our leaders in church have to be perfect and they can never make a mistake. A couple of Sunday mornings from now, we're going to look at the book of Acts at our fellowship and we're going to see how the people of God messed up royal, big time. Some of them got buried, Acts chapter 5, after they're fouled up. Right? Sure. You sometimes have your greatest moments of modeling in the context of a mistake when you blow it. My son also is umpiring. He's 15 years old. He was over at the ballpark, and this coach was ragging on him big time. And I stopped being an umpire, and I started being a dad. And I'm also a chief umpire, so I came out. I was dressed in gray and blue, and my son's lower lip is quivering. This guy's been on him pretty good, and he's been ragging him, and I warned him about that. That $15 behind the plate, you earn that sometimes in the first 10 minutes of the game. And Tommy said, Dad, I don't, I don't know what to do with this guy. <laughs> I said, I do. Give me a minute. I'll take care of him. <laughs> And I went over and I got in his face and I took about four square feet off of his tail surface, all right? And I left and I felt horrible. I felt I hadn't modeled at all for my son and before this man. I had to go back 
in front of almost 20 boys, five coaches, and the stands, called time in the game, and apologized to the man for being more of a father than I was an umpire. He's become a good friend. Are you willing to be that kind of a model when you lead? Are you willing to say, I make mistakes, I foul up, and my greatest moment of modeling may be in the midst of a mistake? Are you expecting that of the people who lead you? Are you expecting those who teach you here and lead you here at church or at school to model? You should. You put the heat on them. You want to model. You get up to them and say, can I follow you? When I pastored a church in Long Beach, I had a man come to me who was not a believer. And he said to me, I want you to point out five men in this church whose lives I can watch. He said, they pay you to be good. I don't want to watch you. But he said, you give me five guys that aren't paid to be good that you think are significant believers who really believe and buy into this stuff and I want to watch him for six months. I baptized him the eighth month because he read the Bible of a life. That's the kind of leader you need. That's the kind of leaders you should have here. You should expect your faculty to be here with you in chapel. You should expect to be sharing life with them in many places so that the modeling goes on. That's the kind of leader, one who models and not just mouths. And I would say, as I'm growing just a little bit older now, that I am going to talk less and model more. And my hope is that the percentage in my life is going past 60% to 70% model and 30% talk. we got enough talk and writing in the Christian community to sink most people. We need to model twice as much at least as we talk close to my heart next principle the leaders that you have in your life or you may become should be those who are motivated by ministry not money you say you're kidding there's people in ministry for the money you take it to the bank literally second corinthians chapter 11 take a look we got men and women out there who are in it for the bucks Paul wasn't afraid to raise this issue with the Corinthians. He said, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them. And when I was present with you and was in need, I was not a burden to anyone. For when the brethren came from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from being a burden to you and will continue to do so. The idea of burden in the context is, I didn't expect money from you. I came to minister to your lives. Second Corinthians chapter 11, keep going, verses 27 and 28. He writes about how hard he has worked. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Part of this is due to his travels, but part of it is due to the fact that he didn't want... He didn't want to place a financial burden. And he says in verse 28, apart from such external things, there's the daily pressure upon me of the concern of all the churches. We're close. Look at chapter 12, verses 14 through 18. He says here for this third time, I'm ready to come to you. I'll not be a burden to you for I do not seek what is yours. But you for children are not responsible to save up their parents, but parents for their children. Verse 15, I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you, the more am I to be loved, the less. Guys, when you're looking for leaders or you're becoming a leader, be sure your motivation is ministry and not money. There's a lot of money to be made in Christian circles these days. A lot of money. All of a sudden, a lot of people... What would have been like if the Apostle Paul had copyrighted his epistles? You ever thought about it? 
What would it have been like if uh, Jesus copyrighted his messages? And all of a sudden you had to pay to have them duplicated. There has developed something that concerns me greatly, the Christian corporate world. And now corporate America has come and snared Christianity. And it is no longer silver and gold have I none. In fact, one day walking, I understand, in the gardens and the area around the Sistine Chapel in Rome, a bishop said to the Pope, as he looked at all the splendor and the beauty of St. Uh, Peter's and all of that, he said to, uh, the Pope said to the bishop, look, he says, we no longer have to say as Peter, silver and gold have I none. And the bishop replied in sobering manner, neither can we say rise and walk. Is there a sense in which we have forfeited our power in the name of Jesus Christ because we put a price tag on the ministry? And now when we hear of young men who go to churches to candidate, their first or very first statement pretty close to the beginning is what they'll take and what they won't take for a salary. Be sure that you're motivated by ministry and not money. It will free you as never before, because if you begin to be motivated by what they'll give you, there's a real question as to whether you will give them the truth, because often what we must share, both in modeling and in mouthing, is most uncomfortable, and it certainly doesn't raise funds. Finally, be sure that you look for church leaders and become church leaders who are among the flock, not above the sheep. Among the flock. 2 Corinthians 11.29. Take a quick look at it. We're close. 2 Corinthians 11.29. Who is weak without my being weak? Who is led into sin without my intense concern? Paul says, I'm with you. I'm desperately concerned about when you have trouble and you struggle. There's not a set of rules for you and a set of rules for me. Servants are to serve. Ministry that costs us nothing will accomplish nothing. And I submit to you for your thinking, you've got to be careful because in leadership in churches, there are certain people who begin to believe that there's a set of rules for leaders that exempt them from certain common believer things. And then there's a set of rules for believers. There is no exemption. And you'll be tempted because of the corporate world and the uh, special cars and the private this and the private that and the special attention that begins to get its way into the life of a church that leaders in a church begin to see themselves as CEOs and the head of corporations and begin to expect those niceties that set them above the peons that make them a people who are now measured like the world the world measures how many how successful you are often by how many people work for you if you get into a church and you believe that those volunteers out there are working for you, you are dead meat. They will bury you behind the baptistry in short order. Don't do that. Don't do it. Remember that we come from among the flock. I am responsible as a believer just like you. In the life of my local church, I'm responsible to give. I run into so many people who are in leadership in churches who think because they're living less than they could be making in the secular world, and they're doing for the church so much that somehow they're exempt. Somehow they're not responsible to share in the ministry of the church. That's crazy. When it comes to church attendance, if they're not speaking, they won't be there. Somebody else is speaking, they don't have to worry about it. So they're not there. Because I'm a leader. I'm exempt. I'm special. I'm a spiritual hot dog. Stay out of my way. Wrong. 
The Apostle Paul numbered himself among the people, even admitted that he was one among them, the inferior of the apostles, the least at least, and he says, I can't even speak very good. Young people, you're headed into a great world with a good church, but our church is confused. Our church is confused about leadership. It's going to be your generation, hopefully, that sets it right. If you don't set it right, then somebody's going to set it off because it's going to be over. And I'm learning as a leader that I have much to learn. Some of you in this room should not lead in the church. You should stay away from it. It is not what the Lord would have you do. But you should expect of the people who lead you some of the characteristics that I've seen that came out of a man who was trying to manage a troubled church, who was trying to help this church get straightened out and squared away. And his leadership was absolutely crucial. So will yours be for those of you who lead. Some of you say, it's too risky, Tom. I don't want to get into that leadership business. Yeah. Then you live a life of vanilla. I have a son who goes to Baskin Robbins with 70 zillion flavors and orders vanilla. <laughs> vanilla is my least favorite thing next to avocado. They're right up there at the top. They are the most bland, non-assertive, benign foods known to mankind. He always plays it safe. He never risks even putting anything on the vanilla. It's just vanilla. Some of you are that way with life. And when a guy like me stands in front of you and talks about leadership that's going to demand what I think leadership truly in the Bible demands, besides the many standard things that should be a part of leadership, some of you shrink back and say, it's not for me. Worst of all, you know what? I might fail. Listen to this piece. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs and comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, who does actually try to do the deed, who knows the great enthusiasm, the great devotion and spends himself in a worthy cause. Who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs even though checkered by failure, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows neither victory nor defeat. Let's pray together.